0: Hello, it's Fern here popping in quickly before the show because I really want to hear from you I am forever grateful to you every single time you press play on an episode of happy place and this show really is for you so in the interest of doing more stuff that you love and less of the stuff you're not bothered by I would love it if you took a couple of minutes to fill out a little survey for me the link will be in the show notes your input on the content and the format and the guests and all those types of things is so important to help me and the Happy Place team shape the future of Happy Place. So just click on the link in the show notes to share all your thoughts and musings. I appreciate you loads. Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and a massive thank you to everyone who's tweeted me to say that they are coming to the happy place festival i'm so excited i will see you there i'm so looking forward to it hello abby deacon who says i just booked tickets for my best friend and sophie and me are unbelievably excited i'm excited to see you i will see you there abby and sophie shaz is really looking forward to seeing our live podcast with billy munger He's such an inspirational lad. I mean, yes, you are so correct to be excited i cannot wait to interview billy monger if you haven't seen his documentary driven watch it on the iplayer he's an exceptional man formula three racer who had his legs amputated after a horrific accident and he just doesn't stop smiling he's the most phenomenal human um so yeah that's going to be a real highlight of the happy place festival for sure So if you do want to join us, you want to find out more, or you want to get yourself a pair of little cheeky tickets, all you need to do is go to happyplacefestival.com. But we have another guest to inspire your day today, and that's Dolly Alderton.
1: The way that I feel about my close friends, they make me feel understood. They make me feel like my best self. They make me feel free they make me feel safe they make me feel calm they make me feel entertained they also drive me insane and I know (laughs) that I drive them insane Mm. too but like all of that is is all a good relationship Mm. should be.
0: Oh Dolly is just so wonderful she's such a great talker and that chat goes to some quite riveting and revealing places and also (laughs) she stayed around my house for about an hour after because we couldn't stop talking. And now, here's the show. Dolly, I'm, I'm so chuffed that you're on the podcast today. I'm not I love only... your podcast. Well, I love yours. I'm a massive fan of your podcasts, plural. And also I adored your book, Everything I Know About Love. Oh, um, I'm sort of equally as fascinated, intrigued and curious with love and relationships and, and always have been mm. like yourself. Looking back to your younger self, mm. if I go back to kind of when I first started, not necessarily fancying boys but at the moment where I really kind of thought I want to be in a relationship I didn't obviously know what that meant but you know that first moment you think I would like to have a proper boyfriend and I think I assumed that I would then morph into a new fern who was a different person altogether and was a bit cooler a bit more exciting when you first kind of had that moment of I, I want a boyfriend, what were you sort of looking for out of that relationship or that moment? I think what I was looking
1: for, I totally thought I would be a brand new person. I thought the adoration, I thought it would be like um, completely unquestioned and unlimited adoration and love Mm. like that I would I would be flawless finally because I had the love of this other person they would never have an issue with me Mm. (laughs) I would never make mistakes I would be perfect so I think I was looking I think I was basically just looking for adoration so funny when I think about how I was such a fantasist when I was a teenager like true proper almost like it like all teenagers yeah I was the same yeah but to a point where I do wonder whether it was like almost a personality disorder to the point to the point where like when I try and recall my teenage life I just don't really remember any of it like truly I don't really remember any of it what I do remember are all the things I imagined yeah
0: the daydreaming that
1: is vivid like so vivid to me all the stuff I dreamed but my external world I just don't really Remember
0: anything. I relate to that massively. But I often think now, because you know, when you're an adult, it can all be quite serious sometimes. You know, we're working or we're parenting or we're trying to do better at something or improve ourselves, whatever it is. Everything can be quite serious. And actually, I don't daydream much anymore. And I sort of wish I did. I do a little bit, but not like when I was like yourself as teenagers. You know, I would sit in English class and, and look out the window at the grey suburban skies and think, oh, you know, one day it's going to be Leonardo DiCaprio. It's going to be, we're going to be in Hollywood together. And I would be, again, like you, in that fantasy world, Vivid sort of vividly believing yeah. it was going to happen and yeah. really enjoying it, getting a lot out of it. That makes me so sad that
1: you said that because I actually still do that 90% <laughs> of the time. And that is proof to me that I think when you have children, you just can't do that anymore. No. Right. I think that's a real luxury I have as a childless woman, that you, I can just, like, my reality is demanding in a way, but it's not demanding in, the, in that I have to, like, keep people alive. Mm. Um, so I think that I can still have that space. I still do it now. I, I mean, I find life really overwhelming. I find it very difficult to cope with the reality of life. And really, I think that's what my book was about it was about a girl who just couldn't face reality Mm. really and kept trying to find these kind of back doors of escape like how can i avoid the mundanity of adulthood that everyone else seems to have to go through i can't i find that too much Mm. i don't want to face that stuff how can i drink or shag or dream my way out of that adult life that everyone else is doing and that's why i had anxiety i think so i was always trying to control the realities that I found too painful. Um, but that started, I mean, that continued all through my 20s. I remember I was thinking about this the other day. I was on a magazine placement at FHM as like an intern, just literally just doing the printing and, you know, giving out letters when I was 21. And I remembered that one afternoon, I think I was quite hungover, for about four hours, I imagined my 30th birthday party in such detail of like this boyfriend that i would have there maybe i would also get like engaged that night and the dress and the, whammy the music mm. and the group of friends mm. and like my glittering career and it was just like so so bombastic and i remember <laughs> so embarrassing <laughs> i remember imagining the speeches that people would give about me. And I cried at my desk.
0: Yeah, almost like you sort of died. Yeah, yeah. in floods of
1: tears Mm. at my desk at FHM because Mm. I was just imagining.
0: (laughs) Wow. And And was your 30th like that?
1: No, no, it wasn't like that (laughs) at all. But no, I still do go to that place of escape. I've, I've actually had a really bad flare up of anxiety the last week. And it is amazing to me that I read once that basically the coping mechanisms that we develop very young nor mine i think was about seven um i think it's actually when you have your first tastes of like any form of trauma when yeah. you're a kid be it grandparent dying or whatever yeah. um the coping mechanisms that you develop then for most people that unless you actively try to change them that will be your coping mechanism mm. for life and i've realized this week when i've had been like pretty shaky and panicky and and not feeling good i constantly will be like in the shower, thinking about, oh, I don't know, winning a
0: BAFTA or whatever. Yeah. but It's just that, how I cope. I think that's... No, I, don't, I don't even <laughs> so think it's bad. harmless. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good tool to have. It, like, do, no, it doesn't hurt anyone. No, do you know I what think, I mean? And also, I do believe that some of that can then push you towards sort of manifesting things you do really want to happen. I yeah. Think that's, I think that's true. you're really visualising
1: it, you yeah, know? I think that's true. It is it is just how and and actually going back to your initial question because I was such an uncool teenager and I was so boys didn't want to come near me and I know it's annoying because like every writer says that I would really love one day for a writer to be interviewed and be like I was actually really popular I was the coolest (laughs) I really fit in (laughs) I was just killing it when I was a teenager (laughs) um but I think that it meant that I because I was so desperate for this like romance in my life no one wanted it with me. I And also I think another thing that I now realise I used to do is I used to attach to groups of girls at school who were like the coolest, mm. sexiest girls. So I would have an in into that like top tier echelon. But it was always just like the court jester. So I was always like the sort of Carl Pilkington. <laughs> To these like mean girl and may not mean. I've but, never you know, likened these- you
0: to him before, but this. Is-
1: <laughs> but I was like, I was there. as like the un- the unofficial entertainer. Yeah, yeah. But like, I remember constantly when they would talk about boys it was always the unsaid thing. It's like, oh, but never Dolly. You know, like me, someone fancying me would be like a bit of a punchline to a joke. Yeah, you know? which
0: not many people would believe today. Do you know what I mean? It's bizarre oh God, when no. you sort of look. But I mean, also... But I think most teenagers have that experience, well, exactly. don't they? I mean, you weren't as uncool as... I was on kids TV at 15. <laughs> it doesn't get uncool. I remember watching you on kids TV and wanting to be you but so no, but much. imagine when you're 15 through to 19 and you're talking about... Essentially, um, the cartoon Doug. If you remember that, I, I remember you doing a recess. link for that. Yeah. yeah, you remember that link? That was <laughs> that was me. So I was. I don't go near her. So, are you, you know serious? That I mean? what fellow kids thought that was uncool? Yes, of course. Are you not like a celebrity in a playground? No, I'm a dickhead at that point. Like, <laughs> honestly, I can't tell you how much I was. You know, not with my core group of friends. They were just lovely but especially the older kids oh my god especially you know anything that sort of sets you apart from everyone else is you know you're a target so whatever but um when um you kind of got into your late teens Mm -hmm. or you started to sort of have not even relationships but kind of like you know I love that you anticipated that definitely not relationships (laughs) I mean not just have to be as serious no. as that but when you started to kind of have that mm. transaction with boys and and you were socializing with boys um or even I guess when you started having relationships did you notice did you try and sort of morph into the person you thought they want they wanted you to be to kind of fulfill that dream I have to be a more sophisticated version of myself or whatever totally yeah
1: i think that's that was like one of the first things that we talked about when i went into therapy when i was 27 and you know I'd had a number of quite serious relationships at that point it's this idea like the fragmented self I felt like there was a person that I could be with my family and friends and she was like goofy and silly and a bit geeky and um definitely not very cool um and then probably a bit silly and a bit loud and then a person who I had to be with men which was um maybe a bit mean and withholding mm. and you know um like a bit of bit of a like a shocking character mm. yeah this sort of femme fatale <laughs> you know, it's mm. so embarrassing saying it but like I truly it took me such a long time to realize that if someone is f- falling in love with me for that performance it will probably come apart at some point because that's not intimacy that's not Mm. that person getting to know me and that's not me getting to know them but it's so hard to
0: mitigate that at the start of a relationship right because you it's it's a really vulnerable place to just be you Yeah, exactly because you want them to to so desperately like you if you feel that attraction that you think I mean I personally always think oh I've not now because I'm married but when I was sort of you know dating guys whatever I'd always think I've got to be a little bit more or a little bit more what I think they you know like because I can't just be me that would you know, that's so boring or they would never be interested in that. And then, of course, you realise when you're into a relationship, no, I like you say, all of that has to fall to the wayside and you're just you. And yeah. you've got to deal with that and they've got to deal with that. Totally.
1: And if, like, if all your friends and family can, can see you for all you are, like all your good intentions and all your flaws, if they can see that and love that about you, the chances are there might be someone of the opposite sex mm. who of can course. see all of you and... and you know f- love that about you too Ooh. but yeah it's it's I, I I don't know if men feel it as much I do think that it's quite a female anxiety that there's a writer that I love called Jill Soloway and she's written about this extensively she calls it the divided female about how we have to kind of there's one side of us that's more intellectual or comedic or cerebral that that men can engage with separately to another part that has to be like sexy and feminine and nurturing and providing, and basically the work that we have to do now is is connecting the two mm. and feeling comfortable with the whole female. You mm. know, one doesn't negate the other. Mm. Um, women contain multitudes, of
0: course, and it's something it's something that I'm still. Learning, yeah. Well, it's hard, yeah. And it, you know, I don't think it's exclusive to relationships. It's kind of hard in a lot of situations. In exactly with in life, work, with work, yeah. to kind of show up and just be you and the complexities that lie within your own personality. How Is, where, how are you with that now? Where do you think you're? Um, much better. I mean, obviously, I don't have to luckily sort of worry about the dating thing now because I don't know how I would deal with it with dating apps and you know I didn't deal with any of that and that terrifies me in sort of my younger cousins and stuff who are dealing with that I just think oh my god what a minefield but I think with work I am a different person completely to how I was in my 20s where you know my 20s I again similarly in relationships to my working situations I didn't think I could just be me and that people would accept that and go oh yeah we'll hire you because of the actual authentic parts of your personality I would always try and be a little more this or that and then certainly as soon as I'd written happy I just thought I just gotta be myself and mm. see what happens mm. and you know what have you got to lose really I've tried that way and it doesn't really I've done it for 20 years or whatever it doesn't really work so let's try just being me and now I get a kick out of it even if it doesn't go well I think yeah, yeah but I was really really me at work today yeah. I told the absolute truth and I, I lied for you didn't lie but I'd covered the truth for years so I think maybe you know for me it might have been delayed because i had a strange career but i think with age and also someone has seemed patronizing to people in their 20s or even teens who are like no i'm me all the time now because they, some they people might, are, some people yeah. are yeah but it took me until i was in my 30s for sure yeah for i think sure. i'm still on
1: the path to righteousness i'm yeah. still on my way there but i think it's interesting that thing you say about when you bring your whole self to something mm. i think when you're when you're younger, that feels like such a risk and you feel so vulnerable because you're not comfortable with the truth of your whole self. Mm. But I think where it gets easier. So like with the book, I'm so glad I wrote that book after I'd done therapy. And when I was 28, because at that point I could bring my whole self to that story and not perform. Yeah. And, and because I had like joined so many dots and understood and felt more comfortable with who I am when I receive criticism, it hurts less than when I was pretending to be another person because Mm. it's like, okay, that's cool, man. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay if you're not into that, if if you're not into me because I know, particularly with that story that I'm telling, I know the truth of it. Yeah. And I know who I am and I've done, however much thinking you've done or analysing or judging you've done on me, trust me, I've done three Mm. million times more, particularly of that era of my life. So like, I know what the truth is
0: for me. Mm, I feel the same. It's a nice up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking back at your relationships that have felt long term, can you notice different stages within that sort of relationship journey? You know, there's obviously that crazy lusty bit that we all feel and it's intoxicating and full-bodied and you know just full body that's the word for it it just sends you loopy doesn't it every sip it's a new high it's great yeah but you know obviously then it has to transition into these different spaces as we go along can Mm. you kind of see what your patterns are and and what usually happens in those scenarios yes so I'm not good at the transitioning right you want that heady bit all the time yeah I mean I don't anymore because I've I've done so much
1: (laughs) reading Mm. and thinking and talking about this but that was basically the problem For, like, a decade. That I finally... I think I've, like, finally accepted Mm. that that period is... I kept trying to find these, like, backdoor ways of, like, how do I keep that feeling? Which is basically a feeling of insecurity, actually, I think. Really? Yeah, of, like... How do I keep this going? Mm. Uh, why does he like me? Does he still like me today? Will he like me tomorrow? That—that's really so. You like the drama of it, that's... totally, yeah. totally. I mean, weirdly, I just don't have any space for that now. But for a long time. But weirdly, saying that though, it's—it's it's funny how like old bad habits get so ingrained. Oh into yeah. So I, I took like eighteen months off dating, and I started dating again a few months ago, and I do. There was one guy that I met who I really, really liked. And it would have just been that. Just total excitement, drama, insecurity, tears, fear. You know, all that stuff that I thought was romance when I was younger. And I... I just had to say goodbye to him after like a month. Mm, good for you. I know, but it was weird because there was this old girl in me that was like mm. really wanting to lean into it. Mm. And I really had to like talk her down. Yeah. I know I sound mad saying that, but like, no, I, re- I, totally I really get it. felt this person like almost like wanting to like an alcoholic like reach and wanting to pick up a bottle. I really felt this girl being like oh but it's fun and life is so boring and you need a bit of an escapism mm. and a bit of a kind of multicoloured full-bodied experience to take you out of the dreary obligations of a very very busy work life at the moment. And I was just like no, no. Yeah. But it was hard to shake off because actually what what I've seen with my friends who are in very long-term relationships or married or with children is that that initial? It's basically hormonal, isn't it? Yeah. That will it has a about six months, maybe even a year lifespan if you're lucky, and then it disappears. There's there's literally nothing you can do to no. sustain that in a real. Way. It would be weird if it just it would fade like that it and would completely
0: be unnatural and, and fake and yeah. exactly.
1: But it's another type of th- other types of thrills can come in so like I've seen two of my best friends last year had a baby together and I've seen them even though their life in a weird way is kind of less romantic than ever in terms of their living in the country it's like very long dark nights mm. together in silence they tell me or watching the telly or feeding the baby or whatever mm, um, a bell, yeah even though I see that the real kind of romantic excitement of their of of their kind of couple identity that I know them for has gone. I see this other like intense romance in their relationship now, which is the way they've fallen in love with each other as parents. And I know that sounds cheesy, but truly it's, I've never seen them more in love. Mm. And I think that you, I think basically relationships contain so long, long long-term relationships contain so many miniature relationships within them. Oh,
0: you're so right. It's, you know, it's all little sort of, steps I guess not that you're going up or down or anything but just kind of like little moments where you do perhaps feel you know I certainly feel that with my husband through experiencing different things from whether that being you know our kids and my stepkids, or getting married after I had my first kid but you do have bits that kind of tie your knot a bit tighter almost you know and it's
1: exactly it's a
0: nice feeling so so when you've been in um in a long-term relationship and you've had that lusty bit at what point can you normally start to sort of let your guard down a bit and that doesn't mean you know that you're taking a dump in front of them but that you are (laughs) do you know what I mean you are slightly more like relaxed you're not wearing makeup to sleep or whatever you know you're kind of slightly more this is me this is who I am does that take you a long time I've never ever been in a take a dump relationship have you Well, me and my husband literally... I mean, he's seen me push babies out of my vagina. It's It's just there's no... There was. I was in a birth pool, there was shit coming out all sorts, do you know what I mean? There's, I, I suppose... think we're at a point now where we're just... I mean, I wouldn't, like, do a poo if he's taking a bath in No, the no, same no, that's room. what I mean, you're not that... But I would definitely be like, I'm just going for a poo, so you intend. <laughs>
1: totally fine. <laughs> but as in, I do hear about these couples where it's, like, one's in the bath and one's, no, like, I'm taking not. a shit and I, I just can not I, I would get stage fright and it would stay up. I just want to make sure, Fern, we're <laughs> on the same page. Beyond the practical element of, like, expulsion... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not, it's not great. It's not a great it's dynamic. It's not a great But even dynamic. with like my friends and my family, I wouldn't do that. Maybe no, I I'm wouldn't. just quite, I don't know, uptight. So. No,
0: no, I feel <laughs> the same. I will fart. I will completely fart. I really don't mind that. And he will fart. And that is, that is fine. That is absolutely fine. And we're kind of, we're comfy with that now. Yeah. Whereas I- I've got a friend who's been married for 10 years and she has never... Ever farted in front of her husband, yeah, ever. Yeah, I'm, I'm more like that. Really? So yeah, I admire that. No,
1: because I think that basically I just have a huge fear of intimacy. To to answer your question, I think uh, it's difficult because I, I haven't, I feel like I've made a lot of connections with things and I've theorised a lot of things and I've kind of been quite academic about how I think I've messed up in relationships or, or entered unhealthy relationship dynamics in the past. And a lot of it is just absolute fear of vulnerability and and closeness and intimacy with someone that's really the issue with me but like I'm not in a long-term relationship now so I haven't really seen something I I realized when I was doing therapy is it's very easy to do the talking and the theorizing like you can do a really convincing performance of that and think that you've really grown and matured and moved past bad habits but it's not really until you're putting them into action whether you can see that
0: mm. that you've
1: really absorbed them into your kind of they've fused, but into you, you have
0: because you just said you know you you let that yeah. one chap go Takes because you. you felt you recognised okay I know that I'm doing what Dolly normally does at the start of yeah. this and that's not for me now. So do you think? you know, whatever other hurdles you face in that way, you'll be able to sort of take that step back and go, you know what, actually... Because it's hard because you do get so carried away with this. It is the most beautiful feeling in the world. Mm. And it is so hard to have control, you know, running alongside that feeling yeah. because it is wild and it is free. And, and you want to enjoy it. That's yeah, the problem. exactly. That's what
1: I've really noticed since going back into dating. But the other problem is as well is that if you obsess too much over that headiness at the beginning for me as someone who has a fear of sort of close intimacy that weirdly can be a way of keeping someone at arm's length Mm. do you know what Mm, I mean like that sort of like the the accoutrements of of romance rather than actually like getting close to someone like interestingly when I was younger and I would fantasize about boys (laughs) normally It would never be like anything about them. Mm. It would always be about how much they loved me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Which isn't really about connecting with someone. That's just about wanting adoration. So it's hard because you want to be cognizant of all that and you want to wait stuff in reality and you want to fall in love with your eyes open. But then also you don't want to be so po-faced about it and so cautious Mm. that you miss out on that beautiful freeing feeling and actually I think that's the real challenge of dating in your 30s and I've spoken to a lot of other people who said it is just different to your 20s that you are you're more conscious you're more conscious and you don't have loads of time to waste particularly if you want to have children so you just you feel like you're more aware of stuff you can't lose yourself in things maybe as you did when you were younger Mm.
0: going back to what you're saying about you always wanted like them to adore you and that was such a big part of it and there's something really interesting about that because you know, yes. You know, it has to also be about them and what what they what their qualities are and what yeah. they're bringing to the table and whatever. But it is so lovely that somebody else's love for you brings out all these bits of you that sort of lie dormant for quite a while. Mm. Because I certainly have felt that, especially when I met my husband, all these bits of me started to sort of surface that I'd forgotten about. Like Funfern came back out again. I mean, she's well in the box at well, the mean, moment. That
1: but. is evidence truly of a, of a really good relationship mm, I think that's mm. a lovely way of putting it yeah
0: I think it does sort of shine a light on those bits of you especially in that first heady bit of oh my god and you like yourself a bit more and it shouldn't mm. be dependent on another of course but I think it helps you highlight those bits that make you know you do feel a bit sexier or a bit I don't know supported I, there's lots of things that sort of came up for me certainly at the start I mean it's not all there now but at that beginning bit I think yeah it does kind of bring out all those lovely bits of you and maybe that's the feeling it's like you want them to adore you because that helps you in turn highlight all those good bits about yourself
1: yeah and I think for ages because I was in so many really really like dysfunctional relationships Mm. I felt that a relationship meant Closing bits off rather uh, rather than opening things up. So I thought a relationship meant like saying goodbye to things and making sacrifices, and basically like more and more I realised that a good relationship should just be like a really good friendship, yeah, with some shagging, with right? yeah. a <laughs> <laughs> It helps. That truly, yeah. I think that's like the formula. Yeah, and I know that sounds like so basic. Like I'm kind of woman splaining love. But I think for so long, I felt that a romantic relationship had existed in this paradigm that was like totally different to all other relationships. Mm. So the rules of a romantic relationship and the way that it worked and the roles that you had was was like this own autonomous governing body and nothing like friendships and family. The way that I feel about my close friends, they make me feel understood. They make me feel like, my best self they make me feel free they make me feel safe they make me feel calm they make me feel entertained they also drive me insane and I know that I drive them insane (laughs) Mm. too but like all of that is is all a good relationship Mm. should be and I always think as well about the Joni Mitchell song that's taken me about half an hour to quote Joni Mitchell (laughs) Is that a record? Yeah, I normally six or ten minutes. <laughs> Called All I Want. And that, for me, the lyrics of that song are an absolute manifesto. And I believe in it more and more as I get older of what love should be. And some of the last lines of it is just, I want to make you feel free. And that's what I think really love should do. Mm. It should never make you feel tied down no. or fragmented or like you have to close parts of yourself absolutely are. not it should make you feel open and um and vulnerable in a good way and understood and
0: open like the world should suddenly feel bigger mm. so so previously your perspective on relationships where do you think you got that from is that just sort of culturally been fed to all of us we've sort of been indoctrinated from by watching movies or you know where do you think you kind of got that sense of of how a man should should be in your life I think it's a number of things. I think going to an all-girls school really didn't help.
1: I think... I I literally, like, had no contact with boys my age until I was 16. Mm. I think if you were to explain that to an alien, Mm. it just makes no sense that, like, Mm. I I have to ultimately go out into the world aged 18 after school finishes and learn to, like be in seminars and be in teams at work and have a social life with 50% of the population who I have basically been kept away from for 16 years of my life. Like,
0: it's mad. So how did that feel when you first had to kind of... Well, I just thought they were... I
1: went to a co-ed boarding school and I was just terrified. I was terrified and fascinated and obsessed and enchanted and embarrassed like I just had it was like total foreign experience being Mm. around them and I think that that has cast a really long shadow for me Mm. and actually I took loads of girls who went to all girls school have messaged me since they read my book and very kindly and generously told me that it when that when I kind of in the book I kind of analyze how I think all girls school has impacted on the way that I relate to the opposite sex and loads of them had said that it was like reading that helped them join the dots a bit as to why it's something they struggled with so much Mm. and then you add in the fact that you and I grew up with the first way the first kind of format of relating to boys was online Mm. which is even more disconnected So it makes them feel like Even more other to you
0: Mm. So
1: I think a lot of it's that And then I also do think that You know I'm like A love junkie In terms of like A rom-com and fairy tale Nut So I think That probably Indoctrinated me With some pretty kooky ideas
0: Because the online thing Because I was listening To one of your podcasts With Vanessa Kirby And I know that you know her very well And you were talking about The sort of MSN days Which I swerved Because I'm that bit older than you So I I remember the only sort of Weird contact I would have with boys. I had a boyfriend when I was about fifteen, and and I would sort of page him, sort of (gasps) ring a lady and say, "Can you say hello, Tom?" can you meet me tomorrow at two by yeah. the local Tesco? You know, and, and this woman would have to sit there and type yeah. it. And then, it, I mean, kids listening to this now will go, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, me and Farley used to do this, yeah. And then you'd have the pager literally hooked onto your waistband and it would buzz. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even have one. He just had one and I had no way of knowing <laughs> if he could get back. I mean, it was ludicrous, the whole thing. But the MSN thing and how I watch my stepkids now and they're constantly on sort of Snapchat and all just texting, but they all know what each other are doing constantly there's no sort of mystery I guess anymore and i I guess I sort of nostalgically feel like that's a bit of a shame for them yeah and also wonder how that hinders them in in this new crazy world of communicating with each other within starting relationships with whichever gender you desire mm. I've, I'm sort of scared for them it's bonkers Do you know what
1: else as well just going back to what you said about the pager and how you would like <laughs> transmit to him but you, you he couldn't transmit back no. to you I interviewed Sharon Hallgood, and she was talking about um this fallout that she had with a friend when she was a teenager and this would have been in like the 90s like, early 90s and she said that she was meant to meet her at a party and then the girl didn't come or whatever and then she wrote her this long letter from Germany. And I realized that like one of the reasons I think that my generation, we're so flaky and we're so self-obsessed, I'm really bad for this in terms of like constantly cancelling or not turning up or taking a night in for self-care or whatever and just like (laughs) not being at someone's really important evening where they need you. I think a lot of that is engendered by this idea of like, everyone being accessible to each other all yeah. the time whereas when you're paging someone like I think that this very old-fashioned sense of loyalty yeah that I really see in my parents of like when you say you go to somewhere you go there mm. it's probably created from the fact that they grew up That's in so a time mm. where you can't stand someone up or ghost no. someone no. because you can't just like go see what they're doing on Instagram or feel like you have this vague connection with them no. if you say you'll go go meeting at the bar at Five, you better bloody be there you've got to be there yeah
0: I had tons of first dates like that where you'd go I hope yeah. they turn up and if they don't within an hour I'm just going to have to go yeah. because they're not showing up um, I was sort of rereading quite a lot of stuff before uh, we met today um, on love and relationships and two interesting things the, f- the first thing that I was sort of new to sadly and I don't know how this bypassed me was the five languages of love love language yeah And just really sort of looking in depth at how that relates to my life. And and what I found really interesting is how each of us will need a bespoke way to be Told that we are loved or to feel loved. Yeah. And if your partner has a different set of values in that way, that you do have to from the start openly communicate, right? I see that you want me to tell you verbally that I love you every day. But for me to know it, I need action. I need you to be of service in yeah. some way or whatever. Yeah. It's and I'm never. Isn't it? even looked at that and, like, and, it, and it really made me kind of sit there and, and ponder on it all. when is it's you literally like learning a new language. It is. It's yeah. crazy. And first of all, I was thinking, what's this? This is too obvious. And then when I started getting into it, I was like, oh no, this is the foundation of all relationships and friendships and as well. Did really. you work
1: out you and your oh, it, husband? Instantly. Yeah. I mean,
0: it took like two seconds. Yeah, When you've had Uh, an imbalance in a relationship like that how have you have you dealt with it have you communicated it or have you are you passive aggressive do you hold it in you know how do you communicate that they're not giving you what you need
1: to be honest I haven't been in a relationship for so long or
0: even dating you know it goes the same for you know you could be on like your third date and notice that there's a big difference in how Mm. you explain your feelings to each other because you know, looking at me and my husband, he, he is a really kind of brilliant communicator and he doesn't want me to sort of tell him not, I don't have to tell him every day. I love you. I love you. But that's, that really makes him kind of buzz. And he likes that. Whereas for me, when someone does something for me and I haven't even asked for it, that for me is like, whoa, you have floored me with your love. Like I can't get over that because I'm such an independent doer. When someone else does it, I am floored. And I think you can kind of recognize that really early on in dating that Someone is just, they are speaking quite literally a different language to you. It's weird. I've really noticed it
1: with my friendships growing up. Yeah. That particularly in the last 10 years, I've had to realise how people need me to behave to feel loved. I think, it's so weird with me because I think I'm, I'm, you know that when Harry met Sally line Mm. where he says... There are two types of women, high maintenance and low maintenance. And she said, which type am I? And he says, you're the worst. You're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. <laughs> Sadly, I think I am that woman. Because what I'm about to say, is like in one way I'm very needy, but I'm also very, very low maintenance. I always have been. Everyone in my family is like this, actually. We're all quite autonomous. We all sort of float around in our own worlds. We don't need masses of connection with other people. Basically we're loners. I think my family is basically a family of lone wolves. And I've had to realize getting older, both with, I've really had to realize this with my boyfriends. Like, oh my God, me and my ex. The the constant, I, you know, the thing where it's like in a relationship, every row basically is the same row. Yeah. Like it always will boil mm-hmm. down to always. one thing. And I remember with my last boyfriend, his thing is like, you don't make me feel needed enough. I don't feel present in your, in your mm. life. And it was just, it manifested in so many different ways. But the big one for him was like communication. So he needed communication from me all the time. And to be honest, actually, this is on, this is with like most of my friends. When my friends are angry with me or they don't feel loved, it's because I haven't been in touch with them. And I've just realized like, I I just don't, I just don't need that. I do need that when you're in the pub with me. I do need that when you're on my sofa. I need you there. I need you present. I need you Open and honest about your experiences. I need you listening. I need intense. Like I, I need that communication. Mm. Certainly don't need it on WhatsApp for the following three weeks. No, I, I'm quite Certainly similar not need be asked. No, but but it's it, literally it's no. It doesn't it doesn't make me feel safe and loved. It makes me feel a bit harassed. Actually, right. and but but equally, I've had to respect that lots of people in my life, like Pandora, my co-host in my podcast, we've had to really learn this about each other when I, she needs quite constant communication with people that she loves. I like no communication. So, because she likes, she likes to feel like she knows where she is with people. And I like to feel slightly like not disconnected, but just like I'm nomadic. This you need a bit sound, of space. space. I know this yeah. sounds like overly romantic nomadic, but as in, <laughs> I need to feel like I can just be off grid and yeah. that's not going to concern people, yeah. you know, for an afternoon or whatever. Well, we used to live like that quite exactly. perfectly. Exactly. And I feel like when people are concerned or desperately trying to get in touch with me about something that isn't in my eyes important, like it just makes me feel anxious and mm. just not free. I just, but I've had to realise Farley, who I wrote about in the book, mm. she and I now have got to such a good place with knowing how we need to feel loved and safe. She needs to tell me everything, basically all the time. She needs to tell me when she needs to go to the loo, she needs to tell me about her bowel
0: movements, she needs to tell me what <laughs> shape for breakfast, she needs to- I mean, to be fair, I've ticked two of those off the list for <laughs> you and I today. And I haven't really known you for that long at all. <laughs> And
1: I feel very comfortable with it. <laughs> um, she needs to tell me about like the podcast she's listening to, what she just bought in Zara, funny conversation she just had with the amount of the post office. Like she needs to just transmit to me quite a lot. And she, she knows, like I just need, all I need to do is receive it mm. to make her feel loved. What I need to not do is ignore it. Yeah. Because that is really selfish. I just need to listen and receive equally she knows the way that I need to feel loved and respected and, and safe is for my occasional um, need for like a uh, disconnection or um, just a bit of time on my own or silence mm. I need that to be respected mm. I know that makes you sound like a bit of a dick but Not she like in a like a small example of this was we had we went away for a girl's weekend together to the countryside and it was so nice it was like a blissful weekend with my best friends like walking and eating in the pub and movies like my perfect weekend i live and work on my own i was completely ready for a bit of alone time Mm. (laughs) after like three days and we were all driving back like about to drive back to london and i was like oh i i need to actually just realize i need to it was like a long journey i was like oh i realized i need to get the train and i was like that's okay She just knew. Yeah, and I was like, I've just got to write a column and I've got to do a thing. I just made up all this stuff. And then the other girls in the car, when when she was dropping off at the station... They were like, why are, you, why are you paying to go on the train home? You could just come with us. It's a free journey. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, like my editors are just being really demanding, just made up this yeah. lie. And Farley was like, she wants to be on her own. Yeah. But that's <laughs> she perfectly was fine. Totally. And she just, like, there was such a silent understanding mm. of like, this is what you need and this is what I need. Mm. And it's
0: important. I think in any friendship relationship to have that space is really important. I certainly need it. You know, life is so bonkers And full on crazy the whole time that we do need nothingness. It's really, really, because it is overwhelming. You know, going back to when we first started talking, life is really overwhelming. And we do need that time out. I think it's incredibly important in all aspects. How how do you do it now that you've got children? Like Like that's one of the things, do you? (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, they go to bed at half seven and then that is my evening. And sometimes even if my husband's here, I won't hang out with him. And he respects that and he might go and fill around his guitar and I'll go and read and I'm in my little safe, wonderful bubble, which I absolutely love. That's interesting that you say that because
1: Pandora, my co host of the Hilo, she said exactly what you've just said about her marriage once, where she said, You'll know when you're in a really good relationship that suits you and your personality because when she loves her husband, Ollie, and they, they're they always communicating and they have wonderful experiences together. They're not a disconnected couple at all. But she said to me, often when we have nights in together, I feel like I'm on my own. Mm. And she's like I know for a lot of people that would sound horrible. But she was like, for me, that's essential yeah. to feel like you can have a space of solitude
0: within A partnership. Yeah, it's important. It's really important. We all need to like breathe and have that time, like most definitely. The other thing I felt compelled to read up on before I met with you today Mm -hmm. was the eight types of love according to the ancient Greeks. Don't know about this. I just thought it would be very interesting for me to look at those different types of love and see if they still work with the model that we're living in today. And the one that really stuck out to me was... I'm just going to... Pragma. Now, Pragma is enduring love. And, you know, so an old couple who've been married for 50 years, still holding hands, walking down the road. And I wonder if, to our generation and below, mm. that is an archaic notion. Like, mm. can we still do enduring love? Like, oh, I really... Like, the... the old-fashioned and um, romantic person inside me really wants enduring love to be part of my life for sure. And, you know, for all of my friends or whatever. But it seems because there's such velocity, you know, sort of speed and velocity and, you know, mm. it's just craziness. Like, can we hold on to relationships like our grandparents might have? Or, or you know, does that just not work for today's modern people? I don't know. I think it's so much harder. Mm. i'm
1: such a romantic and i really want that for all of us but i just think it's so much harder i think it's a number of really practical boring things i think i think the huge jump in life expectancy in in recent times does have a knock-on effect mm. with monogamy because if you think now marianne key said this to me when i interviewed her and i think it's so true when you think that 50 years ago getting married at 25 If most people died at 70 or getting married at 30, you know that, you know, you could have 30, 35 years with someone. And now when you think about how long life is, potentially how long we could all be living, Mm. suddenly the idea of getting married at 25 or 30 feels like really big, really, really a long, long, long commitment.
0: Do you know what I mean? They're I do. About it. I do. If I you do. get married
1: at 25 now, that could be like 75 years mm. of your life. I
0: think the ancient Greeks need to go back and think of like the ninth one because there's a new bit that surpasses enduring love because... You know, perhaps enduring love, you know, like you say, is 25 to 60, 70. What's the bit 70 to yes, exactly. 100? We haven't sussed out that <laughs> bit yet. Post-endurance. is that? Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's a long time. And
1: also, a, I think it's, that's a very boring thing. I also think, um, I, I think it is, we know too much now. I, I think we all, most people I know who are restless or dissatisfied are in relationships or in life are people who are suffering from FOMO, basically Mm. existential FOMO. And I I've seen that really hinder lots of people in their relationships or people looking for love, which is Mm, the grass is
0: always greener. Yeah.
1: This fear of, you know, what else is out there? And, you know, a, a friend of mine who'd been in a really, really long term relationship came out of it. And I was teaching her about Tinder and I have one use when it comes to <laughs> educating people on love. And uh, she was like, oh my God. She's like, why has no one told me about how amazing this is? It was actually like watching, you know, those videos of like babies trying chocolate for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. She was like, I cannot believe that I can just walk around and I have this access in my pocket to like thousands and thousands and thousands of potential like love affairs and dates and excitement. Oh my God, I'm never going to be in a relationship again. This is so exciting. I can't believe this. And it was like, well, herein lies the issue a little bit. Herein lies the issue because she just had no idea. And obviously Tinder may I just say to anyone contemplating now, breaking up with their partner, having heard that yeah. analogy, Tinder is not like that. No. But, um, it's just a lot of just. It it's that
0: thing of, I guess, we all in the modern world have so many options for food. For everything. You know, partners in life. Yeah. Work, you know, there's just so many options and that is actually usually to our detriment. Totally. Because when you
1: think about people of our grandparents' generation who would have or older, married someone, you know, that they met at the local pub or who they met in their office, that would be enough. Mm. Getting on with this like person who made them laugh and who they thought was attractive mm. and they could see building a nice little life together. That that's that's enough because it's it's just like the best of what you know but then when you just the way that the internet i think has just like cracked open and blown up the world for everyone this i this kind of sense of like endless 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 options i mean I have it with deliveroo every time that oh i, I know to have takeaway.
0: am i going wagamamas are I'm we, what are we doing i know it's a nightmare tv channels oh. i spend an hour and then i haven't even watched anything i've just scrolled through that, hundreds of channels that is
1: the worst actually yeah i've realized this it's is the <laughs> what a privileged life yeah i know
0: that what is the worst. awful problem to but have when
1: you say like i'm going to give myself an evening to watch something like really brilliant doesn't happen and then you spend an hour going yeah. through, through it's all shit not yeah. Any of it. I know. Maybe I could watch this or I'm the videos, but then this seems good. Yeah, I just think truly most people I know who are dissatisfied are in a state of of crippling FOMO, yeah. and I think that poses a real issue to Pragma.
0: I do. Yeah, Pragma. I want it. I really want it. Long live, live it. Pragma. Yeah. Oh. Well, look, Dolly. On that note, we can all hopefully. um You know, receive pragma, (laughs) give pragma, believe in pragma. um, And thank you so much for your time and for popping over today. I love chatting with you. It's been really nice. Thank you. Thank you. you. Oh, Dolly, Dolly, Dolly. Thank you. I will treasure that conversation for a long, long time. It was um, a total joy. Loved it. If you liked it too, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. And next week, Ah, we meet one of my great mates, Rebecca Dennis, a pioneer of transformational breathwork. Ultimately, when we let go of those heavier emotions, those
1: past stories, those negative thought patterns, physical tension, that's when we can connect to that space inside
0: us which ultimately is where we all want to get to which is inner peace get that episode as soon as it drops when you subscribe you can do that for free on google podcasts apple podcasts spotify loads of places just go explore and don't forget the first weekend in august we're at chiswick house for happy place festival and the 7th of september we're in tatton park manchester so get your tickets from happyplacefestival.com Thanks again to the brilliant Dolly, to the producer of this episode, Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you bloody lovely lot for listening. Ta-ra!